Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is produced on Gadigal land. All the challenges that you face today, use it in ways that can make you bigger, stronger and better than you were before. We have a responsibility to those that came before us because who's going to remember them? When you lose a loved one, everyone just moves on with their life. But for us, we make sure their legacy lives on through us. And that's powerful. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. It is my great pleasure today to welcome to Short Black, Mary Jane Schwenke. G'day, Mary Jane. Thanks for coming in. Pacific greetings. Thank you for having me, Sandra. Oh, well, you've set the scene already. (laughs) There's such an enormous emphasis in Australia at the moment on Indigenous Australians, and rightly so. But the Pacifica Island communities make up an enormous cohort in Australia as well at the moment. And your work really touches home, doesn't it? And connects with them in a really profound and cultural way. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you for this opportunity. It's not often that you have people like yourself taking interest in what we do out there in uh, southwestern Sydney and in particular the Pacific Island community or diaspora. Yes, we run a Pacific Cultural Centre. We established it 10 years ago. I had just moved from New Zealand. I actually grew up in Wollongong, believe it or not, but I had left uh, Wollongong when I was 18, so in 1996. I travelled, worked for government in Samoa, often, you know, travelled to the different islands and I travelled into America. So you're always surrounded with people that love the Pacific and you were the majority. So we come back to Australia many, many years later and we realised that uh, the community had certainly grown, but so had a lot of the issues, struggles among youth. So we have a very high rate of Pacific Islanders in juvenile justice or, you know, our health rate is, is worrisome. Just issues that I wasn't used to seeing having lived in the islands for so long. So we, my husband and I thought, um, as a true Pacific Island star, how can we help? How can we help so that young Pacific Islanders knew who they were, set higher standards for themselves? Because living in the Sydney, things are very fast. You don't often see yourself represented in TV or in, in media. So we, we established this place where people come, young people, and learn about themselves through dancing and music and old stories. History is very important. Like I, I said something in my speech where we often walk backwards into the future. So what I meant by that was we look to our history as we're walking into the future. We don't want to repeat history, especially the bad stuff that happens in history. So it's important that we always check in with who we were before, where we've come from and never forget that. Well, I should declare that I met you and heard your speech actually at the Australian Museum. It was an annual fundraising dinner and they've just launched the Balas Exhibition, which is a Pacifica Islander collection 
at the Australian Museum and I love everything they do and Kim McKay and her work there. And you were talking about the Matavai Cultural Arts Centre that you and your husband created. But the connection with the museum and this new collection that's been launched, I just thought, wow, you know, I think we don't really realise you're our closest neighbour and there are so many Pacific Islanders here in Australia and New Zealand. Gosh, you feature so prominently in sport in so many different areas. And yet you talked about a lot of the struggles that Pacific Islanders deal with here. And I guess it wasn't something I really thought about. So you and your husband setting up the Matavai Cultural Arts Centre. What do you do there and what does the word Matavai mean? So Matavai means source of the water or eye of the water in most of the Polynesian islands, which is a region in the Pacific Ocean. And the reason why we called it Matavai was after Matavai Bay where... It was the first landing of Bougainville explorers to the Pacific, in particular Polynesia. And he had, he had written, because we, we didn't write, we sang songs and we danced. That's how we passed down our history. And he had written eloquently about what the people of Tahiti were like, which explained to a T what my own upbringing in Awala, my mum's village, was like. People that were happy and joyful and they worked together. And so I wanted to establish and create a, a space where young people could come and feel that, that sense of village where people were joyful. We forgot about our problems or how hard things are. And, you know, we come from big families where not often we don't have a lot of money. And our kids, when we bring up our kids, they have to help financially with the family. So a lot of our kids go to work often quite young. And it's often factory work or, you know, so we're, we're communal. So we created a space where when we do look back in history, we did have heroes. We had legends. We had people that fought for us and we had greatness. We have greatness. And I wanted to remind our young people that, that we are great too. We have people in our history that were great leaders and that's what Matavai is about. And since then, we've had record numbers of young people graduating from high school, believe it or not, back then. We were lucky if we had, I mean, we have a school of hundreds. We have 400 at the moment. Back then we had about three to three and a half, 350. And you were lucky if you got two or three young people to graduate from high school or to even go on to tertiary education. And now we have young people that have going on to do masters. And, and I'm not saying it's because of Matalaya. I just, I think there was a switch in them that sort of came on. And when you look at yourself being represented in ways where, yeah, you know, we're good at rugby. Yes, we are, but we are also scientists. We did discover 20,000 islands in the biggest ocean in the world. So we had scientists too. And when young people realize that, Pacific Islanders, then they start to say to their parents, you know what, mum, maybe I'll try a little bit longer. We'll try university and see what, we, what comes of it. What I really gleaned from your speech was the pride that you bring to the fore. And really, you're trying to reconnect and remind young kids, young Pacific Islanders here in Australia, about everything they've got to be proud of. And there's so much. There's so much. And, you know, I acknowledge you know, First Nations, our Aboriginal people. We are visitors to this land. And if we look at it from a cultural perspective, we respect one another. They're like cousins to us. So we have to respect that we're here on their land and do the utmost to represent our own countries and islands positively and also positively be of service to where we're living currently and appreciate what we have here. 
we don't have a lot of the resources that you get in Australia. You can't get in the islands. We have to make the most of it while we are here and be appreciative of it. Do you think young Pacific Islanders, when they land in Australia, take a while, understandably, to find their feet, and yet you providing this cultural awareness program, and often through dance, not just education, gives them a window into where they're from and what they're really about. Yeah, so when you, when you come here, we come from New Zealand, Samoa, islands where there's a lot of brown faces and people that understand you, understand where you come from. You come here and everybody's so different. So when you're not seeing yourself in amongst people, you do feel a little bit lost, disconnected. It can be a bit scary. The struggle here, even though the pay is much higher, also the expenses are much higher. Our families back home <laughs> request more help. In Samoa, for instance, the biggest revenue earner is the money that they receive from family members that live abroad. So the responsibility is even higher, and that can cause a lot of issues for our people. What I really wanted to do today is to remind us all, when we see so many Pacific Islanders, and excelling not just in sport but in so many areas of life, what the broader issues are that you're confronting? Well, I know that I am a Pacific Islander. The space is about for Pacific Islanders. But I think what I speak about is more about humans, you know, life. We all seek love. Our culture is founded on love, you know. We all have, not everybody believes in God, but there is soul and spirit in everything. The land talks to us. God is in everything. And so when we teach our own and remind our own people about that, they go out into the wider community and they talk like that to others. And then we realize we have more in common with people than we actually think. Family is very important and in a lot of European cultures, their family is very important too. And it's, it's a way that we can learn about others as much as they learn about us. And it makes for our society to be a little bit more peaceful in Western Sydney, Southwestern Sydney during COVID and I'm <laughs> when, when everything was locked down, it was, it was chaotic. There was a lot of sickness, a lot of death. And what really came through was community, was your next door neighbors, regardless of whether they're Pacific or, you know, Yugoslavian or Italian. They just, you know, this, this common denominator was, you know, the fact that people were struggling and- We have more similarities than differences, don't we? We have more similarities. When someone passes, we feel pain just as much as everybody else. Of course. The way we deal with the pain is that, you know, and, and it's very different, but I, I believe a lot of cultures are like this. When, when a loved one passes, their body comes home for up to two days and we sing and we talk to the person and we farewell them like that and it will go 24 hours. That's how we farewell our loved ones. And through that comes healing. So, so things like that in our cultural values and ceremony often is fascinating to others, but it also helps others. I spent some time in New Zealand because my husband was working over there for a while and um, I would witness from afar the funeral process and that celebration of life and a very different way of farewelling a loved one. And then there was a fantastic TV series uh, in New Zealand. I'm not sure if you saw it. Casketeers. <laughs> Man, that was good. <laughs> yes, it was. I loved it because <laughs> you just learned so much about the Maori culture, mm -hmm. which is very different, of course, from all of the other Pacific Islands. But there's a thread of similarity, isn't there? There is. In Western Sydney, Southwestern Sydney, I speak about this because that's where our, our centre is based. We have this melting pot of amazing cultures. 
totally different. You know, if we go into a center and we teach young people, we can be teaching people from young kids who are refugees from Iraq. And we start to talk about our weaponry and then the young kid will pipe up and say, we have weapons too. This is how we use them. This is how we present them in dances. And then, you know, this amazing conversation starts to happen. And I think that's where we're at at the moment in Western Sydney is where the struggle of COVID and what everybody went through. Yes, we're Pacific Islanders, but at the end of the day, we're a community based here in Sydney. And this is what's coming out of Western Sydney is this value of love and community. Not all the time, but when you're there in amongst it, there's so many festivals happening in Liverpool, African festivals, you know, recent with the Muslim, the Islamic festivals that were going on. You'll see a whole heap of Pacific Islanders go down there and eat food, try food and just enjoy. Embrace it. Embrace, yes. The other thing I loved about your presentation at the museum was the range of dance that you had on display. Now, it's arguably simplistic and, and juvenile, you know, but as a kid, I just thought it was all the same. <laughs> and yet you realised, because it's such an expression of your individuality, that the Tongan dance was very different to the Samoan dance, that was very different to the Fijian dance, Solomon Islands, the Maori, and every dance was really specific to actually where you come from. Thank you for noticing that, Sandra. We were hoping that people would notice. Yes, we're not all the same. We're very diverse. We're very proud Pacific Islanders, but we are very diverse and we make it known to each other how diverse and different we are. <laughs> Do you have to learn the other dances because you perform a lot as well? Yes. All the kids learn one another. So there is this thing between Samoans and Tongans and um, it goes beyond rugby. <laughs> <laughs> so it's historical. And so when I arrived back in 2008, that was sort of brewing. You know, there was a bit of friction between the two communities. So having uh, Matavai, there's still that, that, <laughs> that issue around who's better. Well, where does that stem from? Ah, uh, well, I don't know if colonise is the right word. Tonga took over Samoa for a bit back in history. Oh, so it's historical. And they're very proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. But then now uh, royal family is intermarried and that goes way back into our history. The dance you see from Tonga is very graceful. They don't move a lot. They stay in sort of a little box when they dance. They're very graceful. They borrowed a lot of their style of technique of dancing from outer islands, so Samoa, Wallace and Fortuna, and they brought in these people to entertain the kings and the queens of Tonga back in history. And this is where they've derived their dance. So it's a mixture of Wallace and Fortuna and Samoan dancing. We should stress that you're part Samoan. I'm Samoan, And yes, proudly so. Proudly Samoan. But I have, I've travelled extensively in the Pacific. Papua New Guinea is probably one of my favourite places. Solomon Islands, Tahiti, yes. Not enough Australians know enough, I don't think, about our close neighbours. No. And yet there's so much on offer and so much to see. What do you say to an Australian when they kind of give you a glib response about should you visit, have you been, why don't you think about it? Well, it's, we're right here in your backyard. We're actually cousins. First Nations, Australians and Pacific Islanders, we think and feel like we are cousins. And we're right here in the backyard of Australia. Australian, the Australian government are doing big things in the Pacific as well. They have, you know, they have high commissioners in most islands in the Pacific. You know, they have the seasonal workers scheme. You have to, the presence of Australia, there is a big presence of Australia in the islands. I know through hockey, you know, DFAT, along with NSOs, national sporting organisations, do a lot of work to improve 
the health of young kids through the prism of sport. Yes. And by sponsoring a lot of those grassroots programs around all the Pacific Islands, it does really cut through, doesn't it? It does cut through. Um, a lot of development is because of funding and help that comes from Australia. And vice versa, we've, we've imported a lot of people working and picking fruit here in this, this country. They're going home and they're developing homes of their own. Like there's, when we went back in December, went through some of the villages, whilst there's not many young people left in the villages because a lot of them are here, those that do come over and go back home, they're building great big homes, you know, they have cars now that people didn't have before in the outer villages. They always had cars, but now they have nice cars. So there's a lot the Australian government's doing. I guess what we don't realise is what is that doing to the communities at home with so many of your young folk coming here to start a new life and send the finances home to keep their family intact? But it's got to be really hard at home. Yeah, and, and I speak, this is my perspective from what I observed when I was home. So our young men and women, especially our men, they are the, the strength of the village. So they are the men that, uh, the men pick the food for the family and they're the ones that serve the chiefs and do a lot of the, the strong things in the village. So when I was driving through the villages, my mum's from Savai, so a very traditional island. The people doing the hard work now were women older people, some of the younger ones. So that I, I did notice that that generation that usually does do the hard work were there weren't many of them because they're over here. So that's a little bit at the detriment of culture too, that we are losing a lot of our young people that do the cultural ceremonies. And that's why it's so important what you do here because, you know, their future is arguably here and hopefully they go home and help personally and, and financially, I'm sure they do. But you connect them to where they're from and you give them those constant connectors and network which helps them feel more settled and display the pride that you know is within all of them about where they're from and who they represent. I believe that the way we are brought up, our cultural values of love and respect and that is something that we can share abundantly with other people to help and teach others. We do carry along uh, around with us a, a lot of there's a lot of hardships in a, in a lot of our, our lives. But despite that, we still smile, we still laugh, and we, we still try to you know, be happy. And, and I think that Pacific Islanders do share that a lot. But some do fall through the cracks, and it comes out in different ways that isn't conducive with who we are as a people. You know, it comes out in negative ways. But there are so many positives to focus on. I mean, I look at rugby league and the biggest cohort of young rugby league players are Pacific Islanders. And they're doing so well. Absolutely. They really are. But, you know, we are a communal people. Nobody gets left behind. So if, if our kids are struggling, it's our responsibility as a community to find out why and how we can make it better for them. And that, that's my husband and I and our family's role is you come to Matsavai, we provide counsellors. We have Western Sydney University social workers. Every week they, they come in and they're there for the kids and the kids are learning to talk and express their feelings more. So we, we are a community that don't really talk about our feelings, but our young people are learning how to express themselves and how important it is to express what they're feeling and letting people know how they're feeling. So yes, whilst there are absolutely great positives, when there is negatives, it's still our responsibility to ensure that we can make it better for people.
And where you also help try and close those gaps is you're connected with local police in the area as well. Oh, yes, we are. My organisation, not so much. We haven't got to that stage yet. Last year, we, we held a production called Mortal Western Sydney. Not sure if you're aware, but in uh, Western Sydney, the, there was very harsh lockdowns. Mm. A lot of our people live in small homes and they have many people living in one household. So they were locked down, couldn't really go outside. The army and the police patrolled that area. So if you were to get COVID, you would have to show your face outside to the police and the army every day at some point in time. So what was happening was the people that were sick in the household were spreading COVID throughout the household. So a lot of our elders passed away from our centre. At the same time, just before we locked down, there's what we have a code wars that go on in our community. So young people from Liverpool, for instance, can't go to Mount Druitt because there's issues between the different clans from the different areas. So we had that issue. There was a couple of deaths, not just last year, but before the lockdown. So we had that brewing. It was lying dormant during COVID. As soon as COVID and the lockdown were up, we lost. There was a few violent deaths in our community. It hurts everyone. It hits everyone because we all know those kids. It's a small community in the end of the day. Did you feel singled out during that time? Oh, Sandra, yes. That's awful to hear. I, I live in Wollongong. I was receiving calls every day that people were passing and they were struggling. So uh, the kids would go outside and I would talk to people and like, we can't sleep. The helicopters all day long. Kids are waking up. Wow. So I worried every night thinking if the kids saw that they weren't allowed to do what everyone else was allowed to do, how, how would that impact them? being locked up in small homes, but still being essential workers. So they were going out every day. People in their families were getting sick. That time we were in lockdown for four months, I contacted um, Western Sydney University, a great friend, Nicole Georgia. She's a dean in social science. And I said, I'm very worried about how this is going to impact young people. So she got onto it straight away and they had the cultural wellbeing team and the counsellors from Western Sydney Uni situated at Matavai every Wednesday so it was just open to anyone to come they held Talanoa sessions which is talking sessions so Western Sydney University stepped in in a big way to help educate our kids and to make them feel like like you there's a lot of trauma a lot of kids were returning after lockdown having lost fathers mothers um, grandparents and that's the time to play up and play out. Yes. When you're feeling unfairly treated and singled out. Yes. So we wrote a play about it and um, we played to three and a half thousand people and mostly Pacific Islanders. And it, what it did was we brought to life stories of our history. So great historical stories such as the Maui movement from Samoa and how our forefathers fought against colonisation but in peaceful ways. We talked about the Cook Islands, how they had the blue law and when New Zealand moved in, they wouldn't allow them to speak their languages or dress culturally or dance culturally and how they overcame those hardships. So if our, our ancestors could overcome the colonisation and everything that came with it, then we can do the same. We can do the same. Together. Together and take everything that you've been through and turn it into a positive and be the best that you can be. Don't let anything you knock you down because it didn't knock down our ancestors. So from there, it's yes, we came out of lockdown. Um, we spent a lot of time 
a whole term, opening up Matavai to the entire community. We had cultural groups from everywhere. We had Tokelawans and they all came and shared their story and we put our production together and we presented it to the community. And, you know, it's been an up and up since then. That's a great example of how you walk backwards into the future. Yes, yes, you do. And all the challenges that you face today, use it in, in good ways. Use it in ways that can make you bigger, stronger and better than you were before. And that we have a responsibility to those that came before us. Because when they pass, who's going to remember them? You know, when you lose a loved one, a father, a mother, everyone just moves on with their life. And their lives are in vain. But for us, we make sure their legacy lives on through us. And that's powerful. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What does it mean to you then to have an institution like the Australian Museum celebrate all the Pacific Islander cultures and, and have this wonderful exhibition that's just opened and supported by so many? What does that mean to you and what does it say to you about where you sit with us? First of all, Kim, as a woman, she's inspiring. She is. Absolutely inspiring. Her team is as well. Laura McBride, who's the head of First Nations in the Pacifica team. I watch the way they work and, you know, trying to correct the wrongs of the past. You know, the Australian Museum was built during the colonial times. But to see what they're doing now, and they've got 60,000 of our treasures in their hands, and to know that they're starting to bring them out to ensure that our people can connect with them. I I can't even articulate what that means. You know, there are artefacts in there that we've only heard about, but we've never seen. And that's what makes this exhibition really special. Yes. Because so many Pacific Islanders will be able to come to that exhibition and connect with where they're from and see artefacts they, as you say, didn't even know existed. And those stories connected to them. The stories, um, the spirituality. So when we go into any exhibition hall there where we have treasures, regardless of what island, we talk to them, we pray first and we talk to them and we introduce ourselves. So if we're going through, so we arrive on me, they house most of the treasures there. We'll walk through the West Papua section, for instance. We'll introduce ourselves, what island we're from, my ancestors, my parents. If you don't mind, I'm just looking at you. Is there anything that you need me to see? Then we'll walk to Fiji and we, we talk to them like they're alive because they are, they came from the land of A lot of our treasures are from the land, they're from the plants. That's so special and I love that our listeners are hearing this because it gives you this extra level of appreciation and understanding because you will see Pacific Islanders, you know, their behaviour will change a little and you're not really sure what's going on 
you know it's spiritual, you know it's special, but I didn't really understand it till now. So thank you so much for explaining what it is you're going through. Oh, thank you. And it's something to be shared. Yeah. I'm sure there's things in your house too, Sandra, that bring back special memories of loved ones and we should talk to them still because they're still there. What happens on a day at the museum through Matawai? So I've, um, I'm part of a, a cohort of Pacifica cultural artists, um, academics, and we are somewhat like um, advisors. We help them with the new collection, what stories we think should be told, but we also ensure we speak to our own communities about what they think. So a day in the life of us, we, we often go in and do community programs. So my daughter works there and she has schools come in and she teaches them cultural dancing and she takes them on a tour of all the different artifacts. So they get to see the exhibition through really their own cultural eyes. Their own eyes, yeah. Wow. It's it's groundbreaking. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and we're very proud of it. You should be. Whenever we get interviewed on different shows from the Pacific, like recently my daughter was interviewed and she took them, this is one of my favourite places, Australian Museum. We're so proud of it, the Australian Museum. Now, you've got programs running while the exhibition is on. What does that involve in terms of bringing kids from all over Western Sydney and anyone who wants to connect, they can find Matavai online, can't they? Yes, they can. We, we hope to move. Actually, Liverpool Council is helping us re-establish another big place in Liverpool, which is great because they now recognise the work that we're doing and what's coming out of Matavai. So matavai.com.au, on there there's basically everything you need to know about our organisation. We have ongoing classes, so if you'd ever wanted to learn Hawaiian dancing or Fijian or Papua New Guinea, the One Top Cruise, they're going to join us soon. If you want to be immersed in Pacific Island communities and culture, it's the place to be. You do not have to be a Pacific Islander. In fact, we welcome anyone and we'd love to see other people come in because whilst we do teach about ourselves, we like to also learn about other people. Matavai is located in Liverpool. What is it about dance that's so special to the Pacific? So when we dance, it's uh, like a prayer. So if we look at Hawaii, they do what is called kahiko. And kahiko is in fact a dance that they do as a prayer to their gods. In Samoa, when we dance, it brings to life people that came before us. It's a portal into the past. So when you combine the conch shells, Before anyone comes out, we blow conch shells, and it is believed the conch shells call to presence, the spirits, people, calls to attention, everybody, whether alive or past, to this space. And that opens up a portal into our past, but we're here in the present, and we dance, and it just takes over your body. It depends on who is dancing, but usually you don't remember what you've done on that stage at the time that when you are dancing. The music is often just a drum beat. Later on, guitars are introduced. So that's like the heartbeat of your people. And that's how we express ourselves. That's how history is passed on. If we lose our dance, we lose our history. We did not have writing. Thank God we have writing now. We're able to write down our history. But the history that was before our islands were colonized, that is what we're passing down through the dance. And what I love through dance, because a lot of Pacific Islander cultures are very patriarchal, and yet through your dance, so many young men relish and thrive and clearly jump at the chance to participate. I mean, dance is an expression where gender's irrelevant, isn't it? 
Yes. Well, I think too, from from my perspective, because I remember living in in Samoa and the UN often would come and study and go back and say, oh, the genders are very unequal. But if you know your culture, so if you watch very carefully in ceremony, yes, it is the men most of the time that are sitting there talking, but look very carefully at who's in their ear. It's usually the women. Without the women, we wouldn't have our fine mats, which is actually the money that we use. Before money was used, that was, that's what we used to barter. That's what we used to gift. It's made by the women. Our tapa cloth is made by the women. The women in Tongan culture, for instance, the highest ranking person of any family is the fahu, the woman. So when a loved one passes on, it's the auntie or the oldest sister of that person that's passed that sits at the body and all the gifts go to the fahu, to the mother, to the woman, and she disperses the gifts. So I guess it depends on where you're looking, how you're looking, and who's looking at it. It does look patriarchal, but in fact, women are the most, like in my culture, our greatest warrior was a woman. She defeated many armies of men, and they did not know they were fighting a woman. Her name was Nafanua. And so it's almost become a feminist movement now, Matawai, as well, because our young women are some of the strongest. We have great leaders, young leaders now coming out of Matawai who are climate change activists, traveling the world, doing things that I had never thought was possible, but it's because of those stories of our women that has given them the courage to do that. You know, I'm always happy to be wrong and to be called out, but you were so diplomatic in telling me how wrong I was. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> and I love finding out. And it's so specific to different areas in the South Pacific. I think um, for many outsiders, the haka in rugby is the most wonderful display of when culture comes to the fore and it's owned so passionately. And yes, it's a war dance, but how do you feel when you see the haka? I mean, it, it just about always brings me to tears because it's so powerful. I mean, it's the only word I can use to describe it. Oh. And yet the South Pacific isn't represented by the haka. That's just the Maori culture. That's just New Zealand. And yet it is revered worldwide. And that's where I'm saying about Pacific Island culture not being just for us, but how it can touch on many people's lives because when we strip it all away, what are we made of but energy? The haka is about energy, whether it's sad energy, angry energy, happy energy. The haka is an expression of all of that. We love the haka too, as I, you know, people from out who are not from Aotearoa. And I also think of the history of Aotearoa. So they believe they came on seven different waka, seven boats. They were one of the last islands in the Pacific that were discovered. So the journey of their people in itself was hard and long. And for those that don't know, we are talking about New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. We've come from the tropics where it's hot. They've landed in Aotearoa where it's cold. So the terrain was not what they were used to. And for them to discover and thrive all these years, I think it's all that energy of everything that their ancestors have been through and still going through with the treaty. But yeah, we love the haka too. I, it's one of my favorite um, dances or expressions to witness because I feel it. And it, you know, if you feel it, I, we absolutely feel it too. When you meet everyday Aussies who are curious about what you do and what you're about, What's the greatest misconception, do you think, that you're... I don't think there is such a thing as an average Aussie anymore, but 
What's the biggest misconception you'd like to change? Uh, well, funnily enough, we do feel racism from time, you know, the, the colour of your skin or... You don't always feel accepted? No. Not, no. That's just awful. But that's part of the history of this country too. You know, one day that's going to change for the next generation and I'm, I'm fine to take it. I'm fine. It was a lot worse in the 90s when there weren't many of us, mm. many brown people that you would see on the street. Now there's so many. I'm sorry to hear this. Oh, it, but you're right, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, no, it's, but it's everywhere, you know, it's, it's part of life. And um, if we can find better ways to deal with it and we can overcome it in ways that, like making sure our kids get educated, they are sitting on the boards of, of organisations that make decisions on councils, on all those things. That's part of the journey. And that's how we're going to overcome any form of racism, really, is to teach others about people don't often understand. So when they don't understand, they, they feel fear. And it's, it's a matter of saying, hey, you know, we're, we're just like you, just different colour. We do things a little bit different, but we're in this country together and we have to make it work. We do indeed. And look, there is racism the world over. And I think it cuts both ways, but it is peculiar to Australia, the way we deal with it and what we accept in terms of what's fair and what's appropriate. I think what you're doing in the community, Mary Jane, is just tremendous in terms of spreading the word about how important our Pacific Islanders are, not just in our region, but in our backyard, in our home, in our community. So congratulations and thank you for all you do. Thank you so much, Sandra. You've been a, an inspiration to me. I knew I was going to meet you one day, believe it or not. Really? I would sit next to my father and I'd watch you. I still do watch you. Oh, my goodness. And I, I knew I was going to meet you one day and it's, yeah, it's just a blast that I'm here. <laughs> I also want to say to you, thank you for all the years of service you've given to this country and oh. what you do every day. People don't know how much you work. But yeah, you, you really have. You're very kind. No, thank you for having me. It's been an honour. You're the trailblazer sitting here <laughs> with what <laughs> you do and lifting up your community. And that's what this podcast is all about, is shining a light on inspiring women such as yourself who just go about their everyday making real change and a real difference in other people's lives. This is about you. Thank you. Thanks, Sandra. You have been listening to Short Black, a Network 10 podcast. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.